Hello, and welcome to episode number 139 of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Today, I conduct a conversation with a conductor who was born in Cyprus, but has spent most of his life living in the United Kingdom. He started his musical career as a pianist, going on to direct orchestras from the keyboard. Most significantly, in 1998, he founded his own professional orchestra in Oxford, which he is still the music director of today, the Oxford Philharmonic Orchestra. It's a pleasure to welcome Marios Papadopoulos. Marios, lovely to meet you today. Um, We haven't met before, and it's lovely to see you and to chat with you. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine, Mike. Thank you. Lovely to chat with you, too. Um, I always go right back to the very beginning and ask where music came from, whether you had musical parents or grandparents. I know that you were born in Cyprus and you started the piano at the age of five. Other than that, I know nothing. So tell us, how did it come about? Oh, it's all very boring. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, small island, um, Cyprus, not very much music at the time. So, yeah, I apparently, so I'm told, I used to pick up, pick some tunes, uh, you know, listening on the radio and I'd go on a toy piano and try and um, replicate uh, what I heard and somebody in the family thought perhaps I was musical and um, introduced me to uh, a piano teacher. Mm. The rest is history, really. Well, part of that history is moving to the United Kingdom when you were 13, uh, and obviously piano studies carried on. I wonder, did you go to university or music college, or, or, or you know, what was higher and further education like for you? And 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 did you study music? Well, I went to a comprehensive school in the borough of London Borough of Brent. Yes, um, uh, where uh, we moved to, uh, and where I still live. Yeah, um, um, many many years later, um, my. Piano tuition was with um, a Hungarian lady called Ilona Kabosh, taught uh, half a year in Juilliard and half a year in London, very sought-after teacher at the time. Uh, I was actually 12 or 12 and a half, and uh, she mostly uh, taught in inverted commas uh, people who were already established and had careers. Mm. Uh, and so a lot of the things she um, taught me uh, or shared with me um, were foreign to me at the time. Mm. Um, but, but now I look back at my scores and I look at her markings and I begin to realize perhaps what she meant mm. many years later. Mm. Um so that was my piano tuition. My musicianship again was uh, with a Hungarian conductor, um, and you know I did my A level in music at school. Uh, I think I was fifteen at the time. Um, uh, but no, I I didn't go to a conservatoire. Do I regret not going to one? I think I do. Mm. Uh, there was a lot I feel. Um, a conservatoire could offer me at the time. But there you are. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, those were decisions made, not by me, but, but you know, my parents. Uh, and so, you know, I live with them. I'm yeah. Them. 
Uh, and what do you think about, uh, what do you think you might have missed from that? Was it the sort of, you know, being in a space in a building with lots of other musicians sharing ideas and and things like that? Or, you know, or, or I mean, even, you know, I went to a conservatoire and I had the same violin teacher for four years, but I'd already had two or three different ones before that. And having, you know, three or four different ways of being taught. Do you think you, that is also a factor as to why you, you regret not going? Yes, I think so. I mean, particularly uh, the the first point you made, you know, the interaction mm. with, uh, with uh, my peers. And uh, I think that would have been very important. Um, don't forget, I mean, one other thing is, is that... Uh, I was natural on the piano, and mm. never, not, I can't think, can't really remember anyone really teaching me how to sort of put my fingers down and and uh, play scales and things like that. All this came natural to me, but but of course, late in later years, this proved to be problematic because mm. I had no idea how I was doing things, mm. uh, and when I began to question how things function, particularly when they didn't, um, uh, you know, at times, then uh, uh, I was at a loss. Mm. So I had to sort of relearn things, um, you, know, uh, you know, basic things so that I could understand what was going on, you know, in my body and in my mind. Mm. Mm. Well, you become a piano soloist. Um, I remember reading about a, a very successful uh, debut recital at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. And I am assuming, therefore, your first encounters with conducting, the C word, which we haven't mentioned yet, would have been playing concertos for the first time with orchestras. Um, how were those encounters? And, and when did conducting start to appear in your mind as something you might want to do in the future? Uh, really, from as early as I can remember, uh, I am someone that um, perceives music um, in colours and in patterns. Mm. Uh, and so, and therefore, anything that I was doing on the piano uh, was represented in my mind as, as I said, as a pattern. And it seemed to be very natural to actually try and use that, um, that that imagery uh, to um, communicate um, with musicians and orchestra. Um, like many instrumentalists turned conductors, uh, my first experiences were directly from the keyboard. Of course. Um, I quite a bit of that. With amateur orchestras um, in London uh, in those days, as you remember, we, we had sort of uh, evening classes uh, sponsored by local councils, uh, and, and I had two orchestras uh, that I was um, working with. Um, suppose my first professional engagement was um, in Italy, of all places, when wonderful musician Emmanuel Hurwitz was mm. running a summer school there and invited me to do a Mozart concerto night, which I directed. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, 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 I mean, you know, people ask me, you know, what do you do a piano as a conductor? I said, yeah, I'm a musician and I just use um, the medium um, of 
the piano or conducting to communicate. Mm. I, I don't like to make that sort of um, difference between the two media. Mm. Uh, for me, it's you know one, um, you know, make music, and yes. so long as you have the tools to do so, then you know you're a musician communicating. Mm. Mm. I mean, uh, to it's something that I did from the very early ages, sort of lead orchestras um, as the concert master and then, you know, learn to conduct that way um, by, you know, using the scroll, maybe using the bow when you're not playing and things like this. And as a pianist, obviously, uh, who is directing from the keyboard, you are conducting the tutti passages in between, but most of the time you're spending your time playing the piano. When was that the first time that um, you decided to you know move the prop away and stand up with just a music stand in front of you and how did that feel for you did it feel freeing or did it just i mean did it you know you've just said you like to make music whether there's a piano in front of you or not but there is definitely a difference between the two how was that first time yeah i was um um doing a series of concerts playing play direct uh concerts uh, most of concerti. And I think at some stage the promoter said, well, look, why don't you do a symphony in the second half? And I did. I remember I think it was Hafner. Mm. Uh, and it was so exhilarating. I remember I went home, um, bowed down. Uh, <laughs> um, my head was raised. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I just begged. I said, God, let me continue doing this. I love it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it, it it was a passion mm. uh, for me uh, and uh, it remains so um, as I'm sure it is for you. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. To, it, it's been described as stick poison by one other previous conductor, or you know, as some sort of. Uh, a friend of mine used to call it stickitis, uh, and he told me he said, "You've got stickitis, mate. You just want to <laughs> conduct now." Um, and, and yeah, it happens to us all. I think at some point. Um, before we go on to the big thing, which is Oxford, I wonder, you know, having pushed that piano aside and, and fell in love with conducting, did you seek any lessons at all with anybody? Any anybody you can call a mentor at this stage who who you went to for lessons on stick technique or on score? I mean, score study, you know, is something we all do as musicians, but definitely technique. Anybody you you spoke to at this stage? I'll be I'll I'll be absolutely honest with you, Mike, and say. Not really. Um, mm. My musicianship teacher was a conductor. Yes, gave me some hints uh, at the time, um, but but uh, no. Uh, I mean, I, I I keep saying to my students, as I'm sure you you do the same. Uh, you, you can stand in front of the, the mirror, wave your hands. Up. Now you know, th that really is totally and utterly immaterial. You learn your craft by standing in front of an orchestra, and I would say a good orchestra and a professional orchestra. I think there's a different technique conducting youth orchestras and amateur orchestras, and a completely different technique conducting professional orchestras. Um, and, and so I think I really learned my trade, and I'm still learning, um, by standing in front of a group of very fine musicians. Mm, yeah. Well, I think you're right. There is a and difference. There's no other way. 
no, I, absolutely. There is no other way. And, you know, I've talked often on this about, you know, conducting students and the fabled two pianos in classes, um, which, you know, as Simon Rattle once said famously, conducting two pianos is great if you're just going to conduct two pianos. It's no good for learning how to react to a great orchestra, um, uh, react to a bad orchestra. And also what you've just said about youth orchestras and amateurs, I think you do have to think technically that there is a difference, and you, sh you, and you, when you stand, go from one to another, which I'm actually going to do in a couple of weeks' time when I conduct the CBSA Youth Orchestra in the afternoon and the CBSA Proper in the evening. You have to change how you conduct, um, it, because there is there there has to there has to be a difference in some regards, um, absolutely. But you're not the only person to not have a mentor, so don't worry about it. Uh, there are lots of people who've come on here and said, "No, I wasn't taught by anybody at any stage," um, and I think a lot of what we do is natural, isn't it? I think so. I think I think so. I think it's something that you're born with, quite frankly. Uh, and um, there are a lot of things I think in conducting that you simply cannot learn. Um, mm. You know, you you have to have an incredible sense of rhythm to start with, uh, a lot of imagination, uh, and the ability to to communicate. Because mm. if you know, if if you cannot song the whatever musical message you want to. Uh, convey to your musicians, uh, you know, you you just you, you will fail, and particularly in this time and age where you know musicians are so sophisticated, aren't they? Mm. Um, and uh, you know they expect somebody to stand in front of them who um, can you know gain their respect, and uh, it's not easy to do so. Um, I. You know, uh, I encourage a lot of young musicians to jump on the roster. But, um, you know, I think you you have to really mature as a musician before you're let loose um, in front of a good orchestra. Um, they know how to phrase. They know how to play. Uh, and, you know, whatever you, can, you might suggest has got to be something that they either haven't thought about or they, um, you know, see it as something um, interesting enough to um, to try out. Mm, absolutely true. Um, Very true. And, uh, yeah, I remember speaking to Andrew Snelsons about the first couple of times he went to conduct the Berlin Philharmonic, and he said, you know, they want to rehearse, but they want to be challenged and they want to be inspired and they want to be pushed and and that's true of every single orchestra that we stand in front of, uh, be it youth, amateur or professional. Absolutely true. But you've got to go in there with a whole suitcase full of ideas. And even if you don't unpack them all, at least unpack some of them. Absolutely. 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 In 1998, you founded the then Oxford Philharmonica, which the name changed to the Oxford Philharmonic Orchestra in 2015. And the big question when somebody founds, finds, founded an orchestra, I never know how to quite to say that, is the first question is why? What, what, you know, the cynical response might be, well, you know, I want to conduct, therefore I'll, condu I'll make my own orchestra to conduct. But what, why, why did you start it? Why Oxford? And um, and what, what was the beginnings? Well, uh, selfish reasons. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wanted to create something that, that, that uh, um, 
I, I could um, have full control over and, and make music the way I wanted to make music. And uh, I was involved with the musical scene in Oxford for a number of years on and off. I saw an opportunity and I went for it. Mm. Um, I mean, in Oxford, we have a discerning audience, which is very important to me. So, you know, uh, a lot of people would come back to me after the concert and say, well, I quite like the way you twisted this phrase, or I didn't like this tonight. Or, you know, it, it's, 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 again, that interaction between um, the uh, musical message and the receiver, which is uh, very important to me. And... Um, Sure. Um, difficult days. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, here we are 25 years later, and the Oxus is thriving uh, and doing very well. Um, and I'm still extremely fortunate to have a group of very, very fine musicians with whom I enjoy immensely uh, making music. Um I never particularly enjoyed hopping from one city to another, even when I was, uh, you know, um, a busy concert pianist. Um, I've always wanted to be in one place, have, uh, you know, one platform. I, I'm the sort of guy that likes to set roots. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've, uh, I've uh, lived in the same street for the past 56 years. I have no intention of moving. <laughs> I have a car that is um, um, uh, 33 years of age. I have no intention of changing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was in my bank this morning for, for something, and I, I told them, I said, I've been a, a customer of yours in this branch for the past 50 years. Mm. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it is just in my character to sort of, you know, uh, come to terms with uh, one situation and um, do the best I can. Um, I, I do enjoy, of course, from time to time to guest conduct. That's always refreshing. Mm. But to, to have your own orchestra and build it up in the way that we did uh, has meant a lot to me. Well, I mean, it's been very successful. You've been on tours, um, uh, touring abroad. You've had very big name soloists, you know, Maxim Wengerov, Marta Argerich. Um, at the beginning, did you get much help? You know, I've spoken to other people who've set, who've set up their own orchestra and said, you know, I had I had to hire the van to get the chairs to put out for the audience. I mean, you know, the, getting hold of music and all of that sort of thing. Did you have uh, administrative help, or was it literally a one man band at the very beginning? Yeah, well, you know, at, at the start, my goodness, there was a, a lot that uh, I, I was doing on my own together with my wife, who stood by me from the start. Mm. Uh, you know, in Oxford, a lot of the concerts sell because you have posters in the streets. Um, at some stage, the the uh, city council decided to raid those and bin them. <laughs> I would get a call night before the concert. No, no posters anywhere. I would go to the nearest B and Q, buy boards, um, chipboards, and you know, um, staple posters on them. Drive all the way to Oxford, um, put them around the city, <laughs> drive back and the next day. I mean, all these things we had to do. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't believe in. I mean, you have to roll your sleeves. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't easy. Um, we started with a series of free concerts. Uh, we had a bit of money. Uh, by the third concert, we ran out of money. <laughs> the chief executive called me. I was on board at the time. said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to cancel the third concert. Uh, my answer to that was over my dead body. Yes. Uh, I went and borrowed money from a member of my family, uh, which I then, of course, paid back. We salvaged the third concert. Um, and 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 uh, we carried on. Um, but to be honest with you, Mike, um, at, at the same time as we were running the concerts, we were also involved in education mm. uh, because, you know, uh, I, as many of our colleagues, of course, believe um, uh, in, in, in that. And we were helping students at Oxford University who at the time weren't getting really much uh, much attention to their instrumental needs mm. um, because there wasn't really much uh, in performance in the curriculum at the time. Uh, and the university called me up and said, look, you know, you're doing a lot for our students. Why don't we make the relationship uh, an official one? Mm. Uh, and that's how we were, how we became the Oxford residents of the University of Oxford. And that was a watershed moment. Mm. Um, all of a sudden, people thought, well, there must be something in this orchestra if it's associated loosely with uh, such a great institution. Um, and the other thing I did on uh, my second year is I did a, a Beethoven cycle of all the concertos which I directed in all the symphonies. I asked John Suchet to, to uh, introduce them, and that brought in the crowds. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and he's a big name. Really, those yeah. established us. Mm. Um, and yeah, things flourished from them. Well, yeah. the, the other question, because um, yeah, you you kindly sent me your book, or, or one of the, uh, the management of your orchestra sent me your book, which I promised to read, and I've been told by your regular first flute, Tony Robb, that it's a brilliant read, but what therefore I need to ask these questions because I haven't read it yet is that how many concerts a year do you do and where do you get your players from um uh, well how do you get them because you know is it a word of mouth thing which is often the best way um uh you know so you, you discover somebody like Tony and think yeah I want him as my first flute or you know similar with oboe trumpet horn um um how many concerts do they have to commit to every year yeah well Forgive me for blowing my own trumpet now a little bit, but blow, blow uh, away. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a membership uh, <laughs> scheme. Uh, first of all, nobody enters the orchestra without my authorization. Mm. Nobody. Um, we have somebody. We 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 uphold the term fixer. Yeah. Uh, we have a booker. Right. Uh, and um, he or she, in this case, she, very fine lady. Uh, will um, ask me and I clear names and she goes on and books them. Uh, we do about 50 concerts a year, mm. uh, maybe even more now next year, uh, which allows us, of course, to draw on some of the best, finest players, both in this country and Europe. Uh, and they have to commit to about 60% of the work on offer because mm. before they can be um, appointed. What I wanted from the start was to create that beautiful sound that we are accustomed to in this country, what one might call a bed of uh, 
English roses, mm -hmm. to which I added a little bit um, uh, of um, flavor um, by bringing in um, some Eastern European musicians. Mm. Um, and and so the orchestra has is, is a very all distinct sound now and style. Uh, I mean, you know, two of our wind players sometimes play principals in the Berlin Philharmonic. Mm. Uh, we've just appointed our first horn, who is for seven years the first horn in the Berlin Philharmonic under under Rattle, Simon Rattle. Mm. So that's the sort of quality that we have uh, in, in, in the ranks. Maxim Wengerov will tell you that this is an orchestra made of, of you know, soloists. Mm. And it's true. Uh, we have uh, three concert masters, we have four associate concert masters, many of whom lead many of the big orchestras. And they all play and, and we rotate. And at uh, the time, I remember I was criticized, well, well how on earth can you sort of control all these egos? I said, well, give me excess and I'll control it. But mm. you cannot create excess. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, and so we've done things differently. We, we, we've taken a hell of a lot of risks, some of which paid off, some of which haven't. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, we have a very, very fine instrument. I mean, just, just this coming season, we're opening with Evgeny Kissin. Then, then we've got uh, Nigel Kennedy, who is going on tour with us and recording Bach Concerti. We've got Anne Sophie Mutter, we've got Janine Janssen, we've got Martha Argerich. We've got, I mean, you name them. Mm. But they don't come to us because you know, we're offering them huge fees, far from it, on the contrary. Um, or because it's Oxford, yeah, that has a law to some degree. But they come because they love the music making, mm. and therefore they return again, again, and again. We've just been on tour with Argerich. She would love to do a lot more with us. She's given us periods. You know, we're going to major centers in Europe. We just made our debut at the Music for Rhine. We made our debut last year at the at the Car at Carnegie Hall. We've just signed an exclusive contract with Platoon Apple to deliver a series of recordings. So, yeah, the orchestra is a serious, serious musical institution that I think prides itself on, on, on the music it, it produces. We take mm. our music very seriously. We have quite a lot of rehearsals now. And my goodness, we go through every little detail, nuance, phrasing, sound, uh, uh, and, and all these things, so that we were able, we were, we're able, to the extent that we can. And I'm not saying there's no room for improvement. My goodness, there is, to make uh, a musical statement every time we we are on stage. Mm. Um, I will never, never accept the idea that somebody should be there for a gig. Mm. That's anathema to me. Mm. I mm. ask my players to play as if this is their of their lives. Mm. And they give me all. They give me all. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate, uh, Mike. And probably quite rightly proud of what you know you've you've set up over the last twenty five years and where it currently is, including 
you know, that the terrible two years of COVID, which, you know, everybody suffered from, uh, to be to come back out of it fighting and touring. Um, good on you. Um, well done and bravo. Um, it's it's a, quite well, an achievement. It's a large team that I, you know, we need to be grateful. Uh, it's not just me now. It's uh, quite a lot of people that, that uh, you know, put their time, uh, their money. Yeah. Of course, that's important. Um, and, um, you know, uh, there's still a lot to do, a lot to do. Um, but I'm, I'm determined to continue doing the things that I feel are right. And I'm sorry, I don't think many other orchestras in the UK are moving in the right direction. Um, so, uh, if we are, um, you know, the odd ones out, let that be so. You've just said uh, that you're you're somebody who likes um, familiarity, shall we say, of living in the same house, living in the same street, uh, driving the same car, and obviously conducting your own orchestra, which leads me to ask how often do you guest conduct and when you do how i mean you said it was you know it's a it's a, a nice change but is it something you seek to do uh, or is it you know when it comes along it comes along um how have you enjoyed it and would you like to do more or less no i mean yes i do enjoy it from time to time it's a challenge it's, 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 it's refreshing i've just been conducting the tokyo philharmonic um in a new recording of the Ravel Concerto with Mikhail Pletnev. Yes, I enjoyed my experience, um, uh, but but it's not, it's not something that I seek. Mm. Uh, you know, I have so much work to do um, with, with, with you know in, in Oxford and with Oxford. That um, I tell you where I would enjoy doing more, Mike, uh, is is with youth orchestras. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoy working with the young. Um, and, and that, that that is something you know that that would give me enormous pleasure, if 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 uh, you know people were to sort of entrust in me to uh, share my experiences uh, and my knowledge. Um, but don't don't forget also that uh, you know I'm still an active pianist, so I still play quite a lot, yeah. mostly again uh, with with the Oxford. Football. But also, I play a lot of chamber music with my players, which is you know very very important. So they learn a little bit about you know my ideas. I uh, learn from what you know what how they approach music making, and 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 that sort of knowledge, if you like, permeates through the ranks. Mm. Um, I mean, I can I know exactly how many of my violins violins sound. Uh, how they phrase and all that. So sometimes I would place people, um, I would seat people strategically in the orchestra according to the repertoire. Mm. Um, so if we, uh, you know, Mozart or Haydn, the classics, um, I know which ones would have strength in that in that style. Uh, so you know. Perhaps all this sounds as though, you know, um, I've got the ideal 
uh, I don't. Uh, you know, we experiment a lot. We learn a lot. Uh, there's a lot still to be done. But I think I've carved a way uh, with which to try to, you know, achieve my musical objectives. Hmm. Um, there is an 11th question, Marios, which you don't know about, which every conductor has, has answered in some way or other. And it's to do with score study. We all have to learn new scores and, and study new scores. When you come to do that, being a pianist, do you sit at the piano and work your way through it using the piano? Or do you just sit, sit there with your inner ear? And for the geeks, and there are many amongst my listeners, including myself, are you a scribbler in your scores? Do you use a lot of pencil markings, red, blue, black? Or do you like to keep your scores virginally clean? How do you go about learning a score, Marios? I use the piano. Mm. That's true, a great deal. I, I just feel, if I if I feel the passages in my fingers uh, when I'm hearing my players played, I, I you know it, it somehow um, um, it, it feels it, 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 it generates um, uh, a rhythm within within me. Um, I remember many many years ago, uh, I was learning. The Diabelli variations by Beethoven mm. to play at a recital in Wigmore Hall. Um, for about a year, I didn't listen to one recording, mm. not one. I just simply, you know, stuck my head on the score and 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 prepared. And uh, at some stage, it was interesting for me to be informed by. Uh, great um, performances of the piece, but that is the way to learn, uh, and so therefore, um, that's the way that, that's the route I take. Uh, with regards to um, um, how I mark my score, I try as best as I can to conduct from memory, mm. um, and uh, it's not getting any easier. <laughs> um, um, but but you know I, 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 if I can I do I remember again a few years ago was it 10 15 years ago I conducted the whole of Don Giovanni from memory um, and um, and so um, I don't scribble a lot in the score um, you know it's um, I don't have photographic memory. Um, but but certainly, um, as I said to you from the beginning, I see patterns, textures. I am dyslexic, mm. uh, and therefore, uh, you know, um, patterns, colors mean a lot more to me than scribbles, which I find confusing. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and that's more or less a process that goes through my head. Mm. When you say uh, patterns and colours, does that mean you you have synesthesia? Because um, I'm not sure how many people I've interviewed who, who do have synesthesia. Synesthesia? Well, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how one would define that. Uh, would a tonal key represent a colour to me? Sometimes it would. Uh, I know people who have advanced synesthesia where that is 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 certainly... Uh, the, the case um, but uh, it was interesting enough I was conducting Paul Lewis in the Beethoven second piano concert B flat major uh, and I said to Paul I said, how do you view this key in Beethoven's 
concerto is is it the sort of Rheingold B flat, which is penetrating and gold, mm. or is it what's this autumnal B flat uh, in in Kerhel five nine five? Uh, and I think we, we both agreed that it was the latter. Mm. Uh, and so that sort of imagery uh, is certainly paramount in my in my thinking. Whether it's synesthesia or not, I don't know. Uh, well, well, maybe we'll have to we'll have to see if there is a, a a different term for it. But um, yeah, I find that endlessly fascinating that people can uh, associate colours and patterns to music because I just don't. You know, it, it, it's um, it's amazing how the human mind works and the brain works. But I suppose in the end. You know, if music pre provokes any sort of reaction in anybody, it's a good thing, whatever that reaction is. Absolutely, absolutely. What would you do if an orchestral player spoke to you aggressively, or even tried to take over the rehearsal? How would you react if a soloist had a memory slip and needed your assistance? In recent weeks, I've started a new series on my Patreon page called What Would You Do In This Situation? where topics like these are discussed using real-life encounters. It started a lot of discussion and is proving hugely popular with my subscribers. Subscribing is very easy and you will gain access to articles, tour diaries, over 40 hours of interviews and bonus mini-episodes, as well as much more. If you subscribe annually, you will get a discount, and a further discount if you're a student. All of this can be found at patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium. And from just £5 a month, you can gain access to this ever-growing resource on conductors and conducting. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Details and links to the page are in the show notes attached to this episode. Now, the all-important 10 questions with my guest, Marios Papadopoulos. Marios, it's that time of the podcast which everybody has had to traverse their way through, which is the 10 questions. And I always start with the first two lumped together as one. What sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, sure, the, uh, the sound of any music um, uh, uh, is is um, excuse the pun music to my ears uh, <laughs> cacophony is something that I have uh, let, let me perhaps share an anecdote if I may please um, do I was a boy not nine or ten and I always loved the noise um, uh, the, the, the the razor made uh, when my father used to shave mm. that rasping uh, that, that fascinated me and one day when my parents were away I stood in front of the mirror I got out the <laughs> razor and I began to sort of try and, and replicate that 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 sound which I loved and of course I couldn't no. because you know <laughs> I, I didn't have any <laughs> so then I, I saw my eyebrow and I thought oh that looks quite um, 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 uh, you know, um, rich uh, in, 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 in hair. <laughs> and so I shaved my eyebrow. I heard the noise and I was totally satisfied. <laughs> so forgive me for sharing that, but, but you know, it perhaps shows you that, yes, I'm very sensitive to sound, <laughs> but not, 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 not all sound is halophonous. Yeah. <laughs> And, and is your answer to the question, uh, sound you hate, cacophony? 
or or is there a specific sound uh, some <laughs> along the lines of a, of a of a shape <laughs> a razor going through stubble I hate I I I I'm not, I don't feel comfortable in large spaces where there's parties and things. That sort of sound, whatever music has been played, is not something that I can tolerate. Uh, you know, I mean, noise outside, of course, uh, cars blaring, all that. Um, again, uh, you'd be amazed at this. I had an uncle when I was living on the island of Cyprus who had a, an old. 1950s, I think, Hilburn Humper. Mm. And and the horn in that car, I loved. It was just such a beautiful sound that it made. The, the, the car horn. Mm. And if last year I, I went onto eBay and I found one and I took it um, and I tried to put it in my own seat, but it wouldn't fit, damn it. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's things like that that, that fascinate me. Uh, I just can't, cannot uh, explain how or why. Number three is, if you had 24 hours free, what would you spend it doing? Uh yeah, unfortunately, I enjoy eating. Um, <laughs> I, I love a good movie. And um, I'd go riding with my horse. I love hmm. horse riding. That relaxes me. I love horses. Um, and I have a little pony um, and uh, lives on a farm near Oxford. And whenever I can, alas, not as often as I want, I um, would love to just... just uh, you know, uh, right, and uh, I pity the horse, but uh, I'm not, not a good rider, but but I, I enjoy a good hack. Hmm. Brilliant answer. I always enjoy it when somebody answers question three with eating, because it means I'm probably going to get a serious and good answer to question 10. So uh, that, that always makes me smile. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Question four is always a nice one for us conductors. Who would be your favourite conductor or conductors of yesteryear? Uh, oh, my goodness. These are conductors who are no longer with us, mm. uh, right? Who have yes. passed away. Uh, look, I, I subscribe to the uh, Fert Wangless School, uh, you know, where uh, sound always emerges from ground up and comes into being. Uh, and those conductors that uh, I think do that um, have inspired me a great deal. Uh, none more so, of course, than Fred Wangler himself and uh, Carrigan, uh, to a certain degree in certain repertoire. Um, oh, there's, there's some great, great people there. Mm. Um, Claudio Bardo, I mean, lovely, lovely, lovely. Musician, of course, you know, one of the Bernsteins of this world. I think uh, I think Kleiber will be in everybody's list. Absolutely. Of uh, yeah. favorite conductors. Um, and, and you know, if, if if I were to move to the pianist, again, I love that sort of golden era of Rachmaninoff and Kortor, uh, where, you know, you are heard um, as, as an individual voice. Mm. You know, uh, that means, again, a great to me. And also in the orchestras, I encourage my, I don't say my wind players like Tony Robb, 
you know, come out of the chorus, speak as a soloist, and then go back into the chorus. Uh, you know, that, that, that is the sort of thing, I think, that matters to me a great deal, that there should be some individualism um, um, in, in, in our performances. Um, so, yeah. Well, you just mentioned, you know, a list of four conductors there who you could probably say were obsessed with sound and with tone colour and tone quality. I wonder whether your answer to question five is who would be your favourite current conductor or conductors have that same ethos and that same individuality and that same ability to conjure their own sound from an orchestra. Well, I think following up from, uh, you know, the, what I said earlier, I mean, Daniel Barenboim becomes springs to mind of uh, somebody again that uh, follows a German tradition of Alfred Wangler. Uh, I have the highest respect for him as both a pianist and a conductor. Um, I don't think everything he does is a marvel, but uh, I think he's a genius. And uh, I wish sometimes he'd spend a little more time uh, in preparing a score, uh, even though perhaps that, that wouldn't make him dysfunctional. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I have a great admiration uh, for, for, for him. Um, the current, I think, is director of the um, Bernard Philharmonic is a very fine musician. I've been uh, very enjoyed many of his performances. The the young conductor. I'm sorry, I'm very bad with names. Uh, of the Israel Philharmonic, who's just gone to Munich, also is uh, a very great talent. I think I somebody think to, to watch. Uh, I think that's Lahav Shani, isn't it? Is that Lahav Shani? It is. It is indeed. Sorry, yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not fond of the younger generation who I think have still got, are still to mature um, and to be able to say something which is profound enough um, for me to sort of, um, you know, sit back and listen. Going on to question six, what is the hardest work you've ever conducted, Marios? Uh, Mike, uh, this may be a slightly unorthodox answer, but uh, the piece I'm currently working at, mm. every piece for me presents its own difficulties and challenges. <laughs> Technically, it might be easy to uh, conduct a Mozart symphony. Uh, well, on the surface, it is. Yes, um, yeah, exactly. technically might be more difficult. The rite of spring, yes, <laughs> but you can <clears throat> work that out. So I think that every piece of music I've ever uh, conducted or played uh, has its own challenges, and um, you know there are difficulties in every piece of music, um, and I really can't sort of say this is more difficult, less difficult. Um, it, it's a little bit li like a question we all asked, uh, you know, what is your favourite piece of music? It's the one I'm currently studying. Um, that's my answer to that. So, sorry not to be um, um, more specific, but, uh, you know, the difficulties in every piece of music. 
I know that somebody has given that answer before, and I've I allowed it because it's 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 true. Every time you put a new score in front of you, or on a whether it's an old friend that you're revisiting, or whether it's a brand new piece of music you've never conducted before, there's always something difficult in there. Um, so yeah, perfectly valid answer. Number seven: When traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? Again, forgive me if if it's not an item, but but uh, my wife. <laughs> well, you're the second person in in in, um, in uh, recent episodes who said you uh, said that that they take their spice on trips with them. Spice their spouse on trips with them. Um, perfectly acceptable answer. Um, you know, I, I only wish I could afford to take my wife on on every trip, but you know, I can't. Um, so there we go. <laughs> I'm not sure I can either, but uh, it's good to have companions. <laughs> what is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? That, that was the, one of the questions I, I wasn't quite clear about uh, what you meant, uh, Mike. So forgive me, can you just elaborate a little bit on what exactly you mean with that? Well, I mean, some conductors in the past have said, you know, if only they didn't have to travel so much. Others have said, you know, orchestral musicians' attitudes towards conductors, um, you know, which which are mellowing over the years, but, you know, they're becoming less sort of us and them about things. Um, even, you know, do I have to wear this bloody tailcoat or anything like that? Um, you know, if there if there is nothing and you love what you do, then that's a perfectly valid answer. I've had that in the past as well. But, you know, the, if there is something that bugs you every time you stand in front of your orchestra or any orchestra, tell us about it. Well, th thank you. Uh, as I said, it's always a joy to stand up, uh, stand in front of uh, the orchestra to, 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 to conduct them. Um, as you know, these days, a conductor needs to be much more than that. Mm. Uh, and uh, I'm involved, like many of my colleagues, in some of the admin, um, some of the fundraising, um, and, and so forth. So um, if one were to approach your question as, you know, conductor plus, um, then uh, I'd be much happier if I didn't have to do that aspect mm. of my uh, of, of my uh, and just concentrate in, uh, in in making music. Number nine is what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You've already sort of have two, which is concert pianist and conductor, and possibly a third, which is you know orchestra creator. But is there another job you wish you'd have liked to have attempted in the past or or even now? Uh, oh my god um i love medicine mm. and uh, you know maybe have another chance at life uh, i might you know just train as uh, as as a medic uh i'm so i'm also quite spiritual spiritual and so um you know i'm 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 Think I would enjoy being a cleric. Mm. Uh, would you believe it? Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think these these two are things that perhaps in my afterlife I might pursue. <laughs> <laughs> well, earlier um, in earlier episodes, I've had quite a lot of people wish they'd be a doctor. 
I can only think of one other person. And bizarrely enough, he also made the point of saying he'd never had a conducting lesson in his life, which was Christopher Seaman, who he said he would have liked to have gone into the church as an alternative profession. So, Oh, Chris, lovely guy. Lovely guy. Yeah, so the two of you have that in common. That's, that's interesting. Uh, well, list, I suppose, you know, we would be following list. list oh, uh, <laughs> of course, yeah. There. Yeah, of course. Number 10, and having heard in number three that you like eating, I always look forward to number 10. Therefore, number 10 is, if the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think I, th I think I think the, the, the last is easy. I, 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 I love water and I drink tons of it. Um, if, if it weren't water, then it would be a regular Coke mm -hmm. with no ice or lemon. Uh, I'm a Coke addict. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I don't drink. I don't drink um, for no other reason than, you know, I, it doesn't agree with me. Uh, I have many, many vices, uh, <laughs> including smoking. Uh, so it's nothing it. to do with that. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, food. Um, to be honest with you, again, I like I, I like simplicity. So uh, what I enjoy most is actually pulses. Would mm -hmm. you believe it? Things like uh, lentils, chickpeas, and things like that. You know, uh, agree with me. <laughs> Anything with lots of olive oil and lemon and that sort of thing. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you like pulses. I had for my dinner last night a lovely homemade dal, which my wife had made for me, uh, with rice. Very simple meal. It was delicious, and it's something I could eat on a daily basis for lunch or dinner. And I love pulses, and especially I couldn't eat an Indian meal without a dal there being on the table. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, very good, very individual answer. I'm sure nobody else has said that. Um, so there we go. And it's been a really enjoyable last hour uh, with many individual and enjoyable moments. And thank you for coming on the podcast, Marios. It's been great fun. Mike, it's been a joy. Thank you so much uh, for your uh, probing a lot of in your intelligent uh, questions. I, uh, uh, I hope that uh, the few things that I've shared with you and with your audience, uh, you know, will be of some interest, um, you know, uh, my boring life has, has, has bored a lot of things uh, for me. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I just hope and pray that I'm in good health for the next few years to continue what I do. Uh, but, it, you know, it's been an immense pleasure and I thank you for having me. A mic on the podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat with a conductor who has held title positions in Colombia, Norway, Portugal and his native Switzerland. He also guest conducts all across the globe, in both the Concert Hall and the Opera House. And from 2022, he has been Principal Conductor and Artistic Director of the Real Filarmonia de Galicia in Spain. But until then, bye-bye. <laughs>